0: Amen, as I uh, introduce up this series of lessons on Matthew chapter six, amen, I'm going to read a few verses in your hearing. Matthew chapter six, starting at verse one, you will find these words. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Amen, Amen, saints of God. I am reading your hearing those verses, Amen, one through four, to set a stage for our series of lessons on the practicality of Matthew chapter six. The practicality of Matthew chapter six. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. On multiple occasions, Amen, we have uh, visited. Uh, the gospel according to Matthew. We have reinforced the the theme of the Matthew, or Matthean gospel, if you will, in that he wrote the gospel to portray Jesus as king. To portray Jesus as king. This particular text that is found in Matthew 6 is a text which is part of a larger body of work that consists of chapters five, six, and seven, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. It is, if you will, Jesus Christ's magnum opus of sermons. It is a beautiful sermon that starts with the Beatitudes. But I want you to understand that the words that Jesus was saying here were just not theoretical and just not abstract, but they were concrete and practical for everyday living for the regular everyday folks of his day. This this sermon was not necessarily for the aristocrat or or, or the think tank, but no, for everyday folks going to work from 8 to 5, amen. Working out in the fields, in their ranches, amen. Those who didn't have a lot of money and those who had. In the midst of this crowd, it was a multicultural crowd that Jesus was speaking from the, the mount at which we call the Sermon of the Mount. In the midst of this group, there were multiple factions, if you will. There were the Essenes, and there were the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the Zealots. The Essenes were the folks who believed in order to be holy, we've got to extract ourselves away from everybody else. But then there were also the Pharisees who thought they were uh, the cats me out they thought they were better than everybody else, and that it was them that the all of the folks should look to for religious enlightenment. Uh-huh. It was those who used to to wear the frontlets on their head which had scriptures and to have the long tassels to show themselves to be something more than they really were. It was this group who prided themselves in their intellectual prowess because it was only this group. Who had the ability, amen, to learn all 613 laws by memory. It was this group which was also arrogant and conceited, called the Pharisees. But then there was this other group of leaders called the Sadducees, and they had a different kind of doctrine. They were stoic in their ways. They had problems with the resurrection, but yet and still they were leaders. They were part of councils, amen, throughout Jerusalem and Judea. But then there was this fourth group, this fourth group that was in the Earshot of Jesus' preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the people call the Zealots. The Zealots, amen. Even Jesus had one amongst his 12 that was part of this group. Amen. Simon the Zealot who were the zealots the zealots were those who felt as if the only way to get out of their oppression is to have a military and political uprising they were had a zeal for overthrowing the roman government if israel was going to ever get its identity back and become a nation state upon itself they were going to have to step in with military and political might and overthrow those stinking romans That's the zealots. Mm -hmm. They meant business and they meant it by any means necessary. So there would be these uprisings from time to time by the zealots and there would be these skirmishes. And then the Romans would come in with their power and might and squash them, kill a bunch of them, and then everything would stop for a while. They would rebuild and then it would do it all over again. So I don't want you to think that Jesus is preaching to an easy crowd. Mm Amen. I I don't want you to think that everybody in the crowd was on Jesus' team either. Amen. I want you to know that this crowd that he's preaching to, they are thinking before he's speaking. Amen. Some of them have already decided who Jesus is going to be. Amen. And others have already rejected him. But that didn't stop Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so in this text, in the Sermon on the Mount, in this particular chapter, which is sitting right in the middle of that great sermon, the practicality of these words, not just in chapter 6, but 5 and 7, amen, but we're going to focus on 6. Wow. Jesus had a real problem with hypocrisy. Jesus had a real problem with folks who look one way and act one way uh, when they're being seen but they're totally different when they're behind closed doors. He had a problem with folks who tried to look like they were holier than thou uh, when they were amongst a great crowd but then behind closed doors they were committing adultery and fornication, amen. And then when they get caught they end up uh, stoning the person that they were having fornication and adultery with as if they had no part in it. Jesus hated that kind of person, amen, because that kind of person was a whitewashed sepulcher full of excess and distortion. That's the ones in which Jesus said, woe unto you hypocrites, woe unto you scribes, woe unto you Pharisees, because you put burdens on folks that they can't even bear. Amen. And then you laugh and you snicker at them and say, I don't understand why they can't do it when even themselves, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it themselves, but they tried to put it on somebody else. And that's oppression, y'all. And Jesus hated oppression. He hated hypocrisy. He loved the people. Amen. But he didn't love their ways. Huh? Amen. Amen. And I want you to know today, some of our ways today, God is not in love with some of our ways. He loves us, but we got some ways that God does not love at all. God is not happy with some of the behaviors that we have today. One of the first things he deals with in this this text of practicality is he deals with charitable deeds you know is when you when you go out and you try to do something good for somebody else see he was looking at the folks hearts see they were looking for folks to see on the outside but Jesus was looking on the inside and i want each and every one of us to know today that Jesus is still looking on the inside yeah. while we're looking at folks to be looking on the outside Uh, So we look at this text and we find that Jesus was looking right at them. He was watching at them when they pulled out their their large sums of money, amen, and threw into the offering plate to look big time. And he saw how they in the public realm would be there to to help old ladies across the street. Uh, He he saw how they, they gave and they worked in the different charities, amen, as long as folks could see them. See, they weren't really concerned about what God saw. They were concerned about what men saw because they were all about getting a leg up, amen. They were all about, what can I do to further my agenda, amen, by showing folks I'm this and that and getting people to be impressed with me so that my agenda can be furthered. But Jesus saw right through it. Jesus said, "Uh uh-huh. He said, I I see y'all out front and I see you when the lights are on. But see, when the, when the lights are off and the doors are closed and all the band has gone home, the same folk who are hungry, you don't even stop a little while to bring a morsel of bread to them. He said, I see how the folks who are hungry begging in the street, you walk right past them on the other side of the road when the lights are off. <laughs> but when the lights are on, all oh, you are the best things in sliced bread. And Jesus said, you hypocrites the practicality of Matthew chapter 6. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus continues to dig with the situations that are, um, that are in front of him and in front of the people as it relates to this faulty leadership. See, Jesus is really concerned about his people. And he is not interested in leaders who get up and try to fleece the flock. He's not interested in leaders who try to get up in front and lead folks in a direction for their own selfish motives, but do not do it for the benefit of others, amen, and the pleasure of God. See, some of these folks did not have compassion on people and didn't have a passion for God. They had their own agenda and they were concerned about their own thing, but Jesus was calling them out Just where they were in this sermon. That's the reason why when the sermon ends in Matthew chapter 7, that the folks were astonished. They were astonished because Jesus undressed them right in front of everybody. And they didn't even understand how he would have known all of this. But they felt it in their hearts. They were cut to the quick. Because Jesus got a way to getting past our exterior forces and our exterior defenses and getting right to the heart wow. of the matter. Am I right about it, saints? Wow. Amen. And so we look at the text, and he doesn't stop there. He, he stays practical. Amen. In, chapter, in uh, verse 5, he then gets on them about their praying. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. He says, Assuredly, I say to you that they have, they have their reward. Jesus is saying, You got your reward. So when the men and women clapped because you prayed so good, that's it. You don't look for no blessing from God. Don't look for no reward from God because you weren't praying to God anyway. That's what Jesus said. He said, I was looking at my father and I was looking at you. And I saw you praying and the father did too. And the father looked at me and I looked at him and said, who are they praying to? And he says, because now their real prayers were so that men would say, oh, boy, they sure did pray. But the reality was their heart was far from God. God was not listening to that stuff and he ain't going to be listening to that today either. Amen. He's looking for folk with authentic, contrite heart who really want to reach God, who really want to be authentic with God and to pray to God really in their heart of hearts trusting and depending upon him. He says, but But when you pray, he says, go into your room and when you have shut your door, when everybody else has been shut out and you're now just you and God. Amen. He says, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their many words." He's saying, y'all are, are talking around in circles. You're using these $5 words because you're not trying to impress God, you're trying to impress man. But in, the, in, the, in the, 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 the motivations and in the movement of all of this uh, uh, vain repetition, God hasn't heard anything you had to say. He says, but God knows when you really want to talk to Him. He he knows when your prayers are really from your heart trying to reach to God. Amen. And and when He sees that kind of heart, He's about listening. But all the rest of it is a waste of time. He says, get, get to your secret place. But, but the practicality of this issue of prayer and hypocrisy doesn't stop there. Because he says, he says, therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. Amen. amen. God already knows that you're short on money. Amen. God already knows you got a health condition. Amen. God already knows, amen, the struggles you have on a daily basis. Amen. You don't have to say it 14,000 different ways for God to understand because he knew about it before you ever opened your mouth. One of the things we must know about prayer is it's a privilege. It is a a blessing from God that we have an avenue by which we can talk with God. Amen. And God can hear what we have to say. Amen. Amen. But God's not hard of hearing. God God doesn't have a vocabulary deficiency. No, God knows all things, amen. He's the omniscient God, so he knows before you even begin. But you know, prayer is more for us than it is for him. Amen, it's for us to build relationship with him, amen. Because God says, seek me while I may be found, amen. Amen. Amen, and so he's saying in the text, put that down. Put all that vain repetition down, put all that fake prayer down, put all that stuff down to make other fakes say, ooh, ah, did you hear how beautifully and eloquently he waxed as he prayed? No, the Lord said, no, you get to your secret place and I want to hear from your heart. He said, otherwise you have nothing. Amen, but you've just spent a lot of words and you have given out a lot of hot breath, but you ain't going nowhere with me. Amen, a practical text, amen. The practicality of Matthew chapter six. In this text, he also lets us see how he really wants us to think as we pray. Jesus, amen, in Matthew chapter six, and also in Luke chapter 11, amen, gives us a look at what we call the model prayer. We, sometimes we call it Jesus' model prayer. But I would contend with you is this is the disciples' model prayer. And, and not just the 12, but every disciple, everyone who desires to learn of the master, including you and I, this is our model prayer. But Jesus' prayer is really found in John chapter 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer is Jesus' prayer. It was a prayer where Jesus was praying with the Father. Now if you want to see how Jesus prayed, amen, look at John chapter 17. Amen. But he gives this to his disciples, amen, and by extension to you and I, so that we understand who we're praying to. Amen, amen. it says, our Father who is in heaven, amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen. Uh, God is not a buddy. He, he's not, not a homeboy. He, he's not uh, oh, the, the old man upstairs. Mm-hmm. The father is God. Mm-hmm. And this text is letting us know the model prayer saying, and he's holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't try to equate God with your homies. Don't try to equate God with an old man upstairs because God don't really have no age. Mm-hmm. Amen. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Mm-hmm. He has no end, nor does he have a beginning. John the Apostle said, in and beginning was the Word. Mm -hmm. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He didn't know where that beginning started because he realized that God has no beginning. Mm. Before there ever was a heaven and an earth, there was God. Amen. Amen. And God always existed. So he's not somebody to be equating to somebody like that. He's not a co-pilot and not somebody flying your ship and all of this stuff. He's God. Yes. And he's God and God alone. Amen. He is sovereign. Amen. And he is unique. He is undescribable, yes. Amen. Even the, 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 the Jews understood that God was so holy that they wouldn't even try to pronounce his name. When they ascribed his name on paper, they said Y-H-W-H. They had no consonants in there. They had nothing that they could call on because they saw him as so holy. they had no business calling his name. Boy, if today, if today his people would see him that seriously. Boy, it would be a difference in our world. We have gotten so lackadaisical with God and we're just God are. We just talk to him in a kind of way we just we see his word but we kind of disregard it and you know church don't mean nothing god don't mean nothing it, it, it's just it's just like god is just your homeboys uh, that, that old man upstairs but no, he's holy and he's righteous as well and god is not winking at sin y'all Sometimes we say, well, God knows my heart. Yes, he does know our heart. But that ain't good. Because as Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, as God knows our heart, we need, as David said, Oh, Lord, give me a clean heart that I might not sin against thee. Amen. We got to stop joking around with God. We got to stop taking God for granted and get right around here and realize that we need God to be on the forgiving end of this thing and start working and cleaning us up so we can start living right. We can get more devoted and faithful to God as God is faithful to us. Amen. Amen. You're looking at the text and he says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Uh, that that we need to get back to realizing that god is on his way back oh we don't know the day nor the hour amen but the father in heaven but he said he's on his way back and there's nothing that god has ever promised that he hadn't done so you can put it down on paper that god is on his way back but you know i think some folks sometimes they think god Ain't coming back. And they live their lives just like, God's are not on his way back. I'm gonna just do what I wanna do, how I wanna do it. And you know what? I'm gonna be all right. God ain't come back yet. He ain't sent no lightning down from heaven. I'm cool. I'm good. And then if I do kind of get in a situation with God, God knows my heart. Yeah, but that's not a good excuse, amen. Because there's going to be some folks that's going straight to hell and God knew their heart too. The Bible is clear that the road to destruction is wide. Broad is the way to destruction and narrow is the way to everlasting life. And somebody only finds it every now and then. See, the problem here is that, and I've said this on multiple occasions, the reason why folks is going in, in great droves in hell is because the sign over the Broadway doesn't say hell, it says heaven. Yeah. So folks are thinking the way they are going without Christ, they still got a path to heaven. Mm-hmm. Folks saying there's more than one way to God. Mm-hmm. But how did they miss the text? What well, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's why that road is so broad. And it says heaven. It doesn't say hell. And then the road that's so hard to find, the one that goes through Jesus Christ alone, is so tight and so narrow. Amen. Folks need to press and strive to get in. But so many people wants to have an easy believeism. believism. They want to make a decision one day, get a preacher their hand and say they gave their heart to God and go right back out into the world and live any old kind of way. You see them out in the marketplace and you can't tell the difference between them and anybody else who's unsaved. But they think they're on their way to heaven anyhow. That's the same problem that those who Jesus was talking to in Matthew chapter 7. This same Sermon, Amen, who said, "Lord, Lord." And he said, "I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness." He says, "Be cast into the out of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth." Man, this is serious business. God's not playing here, y'all. And it says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is not sharing his glory with nobody else. Too many folks trying to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps and talk about what they're able to do, that God helps those who helps themselves. No, God helps those who can't do nothing for themselves. Amen. And Jesus Christ himself in John 15 and 5 said, Without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Amen. So after folk trying to help themselves, they ain't done nothing. Amen. Because they can do nothing without the Christ. Amen. Amen. Looking at the text. Jesus didn't want them to get away and just say, oh, we got a new way to pray. Now, Jesus said, no, your heart's got to be right when you pray. Because you look at the text, verse 14 said, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. See, Jesus caught the the religious uh, elite in the throat because they would pray, the Lord forgive them, amen. But then the next guy who who owed them a little bit of money, amen, they made life rough on them. They drug them in the courts and they threw them in the jail. But they said they wanted the Lord to forgive them, but they didn't want to forgive nobody else. See, that's not what God is looking for. God is not looking for hypocrites. He's looking for authentic children who will be his children not just in the church house but outside the church house as well. In my life, I've lived long enough, amen, to meet a lot of people. A lot of kinds of people too. A lot of church folks as well. And, And I have been saddened by our behavior outside of the church. There are those who are quote unquote pillars in some of our local churches that I have heard the things they have said on the phone and in person not what somebody else told me but what I heard with my own ears and I saw with my own eyes. And I said to myself, if there was an unbeliever looking to this believer to see what God is like, what a misrepresentation of God she or he would be. And it makes me tighten my belt because I don't know who's watching me. Amen. Today I got my little suit on. Amen. My, my little shoes on. I'm in here preaching from the word of God, talking to other Christians. Amen. In almost an academic setting. But what about Monday morning? What about when I go out there with them, them folks who don't know the Christ? Amen. What about when when, when they get on my nerves? What about when, when they make things hard on me? How am I going to respond? Amen. Am I going to cuss them out? Oh, I'm going to be giving them dirty looks and and talking to them crazy? Or or, or am I going to be able to be the one who looks to Christ for my strength and responds with them with the golden rule, which is also in the Sermon of the Mount, chapter 7, which say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, some folk try to twist that up and they say, do unto others as they have done unto you. But that's not the word of God. Amen. We do a lot of that kind of twisting up. Amen. Kind of like how we twist up uh, the revelation over there and we we make Jesus black because of what revelation says. No, that ain't right either. It, It said, well, he had hair like wool. No, it said he had hair that was white like wool. Uh, It it talked about the color of his hair Not the texture Mm. But but when you want to make something Work for yourself Anything will do Mm. Right So you can take the golden rule And you can twist that up And say You know what the Lord said Do unto others as they have done unto you But that's not what it says It says do unto others As you would have them do unto you So that sets a new level of responsibility In our lives In that Hey, we, we, when we're out there representing, amen, how do we want to be treated? Yeah. We may not get to be treated that way, but we can always treat somebody else the way we want to be treated. Yeah. We're not responsible for how folks respond to us, but we yeah. are responsible for how we respond to other folks. Yeah. Am I right about it? Am I preaching anything today? Yeah. Amen. So we look at this text, And I'm saying that the practicality of this sermon, we've had theologians over the years to try to unpack this text and deal with the context and the historical, the grammatical, and the cultural context. But I'm telling you, this word was preached for everyday folks like you and me. Amen. That we can live better. Amen. And don't get caught up in the flesh. Amen. Like the hypocrites that he is speaking to in this text. He says also... Oh, watch your fasting, too. He said, when you fast, you know, wash your face. Get yourself together. When you fast, don't come out looking all, you know, you know, going to reach down and got some mud and rubbed all on your cheeks. You're looking bad. You dry it all out. Amen. Because you want folks to know that you're fasting. Amen. No, no, no. That's not the Lord said, no, you do that in secret as well. Because who are you fasting for? Are you fasting for somebody else to see you fasting? are you fasting because you want to get closer to God? See, it's all in the authenticity of your heart's position. And so God is looking at everyday practical things here. That people are of, of of the way. People that are trusting Jesus Christ. This is how we ought to be living. Amen? And he's calling all of this stuff out because he wants the folks to do better. Say when you know better, you can what? Do better. Amen. amen. The practicality of Matthew chapter 6. Amen. And finally, amen, in this lesson today, amen, we will deal more with this further, amen, with a climax on Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, amen. But for now we're going to deal with something that's very important, amen, and we're going to close. Uh, uh, Verse 19 Jesus says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy look at that y'all and where thieves break in and steal. He said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here is the crux of the matter. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart condition. Jesus is saying, you got to be real careful about that which you are laying up that's most valuable to you. What is your treasure? Your treasure could be money. It could be things it could even be family members it could be your job your status amen it is the thing that you put your heart and your soul into and Jesus is saying don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth all this stuff here on earth the fancy cars and and and, and nice houses and And there are relationships in our families that are not going to enter into the kingdom of God. He says, what I have observed, he said, that folk is really working hard for down here. Say folk are are, are, are mistreating one another. Folk are, are stepping on one another. Folk are doing stuff so that they can get more down here. And at the end of the day, All of this is going to burn up in the fire anyway. But Jesus was not so much concerned about large quantities of things stacked up. He wasn't concerned about new subdivisions of $500,000 houses. He wasn't concerned about auto malls full of BMWs and and, uh, Mercedes-Benz and Jaguars and Land Rovers. That's not what he was concerned about. He wasn't even concerned about large families. Amen. He was concerned about the individual's heart. Because in uh, verse 21... For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? He loses his soul because his soul was never joined with Jesus. His soul, his mind, his energy, everything was caught up in amassing some great wealth uh, one way or another and it was focused on what we can see today not what we cannot see tomorrow it was not focused on God God was an afterthought and God is the one that says I am the Lord and I test the mind and when I looked at your heart your heart was not with me so, where your treasures are, there is your heart. And wherever your treasures and your heart is, whatever the circumstances or the results of what happens to that treasure is going to happen to your heart as well because it's a one and all package. So, Jesus is saying here make sure your heart isn't down here on earth. Make sure your heart is in glory because this place is going to burn up in the fire, but heaven will never pass away. So the Lord is saying, make sure that your business is fixed. He's saying, make sure that uh, you're not caught up in the things of this world, but that your heart is in the hands of the master. Uh, That every time you get ready to pray or do a charitable deed, is that you are thinking, is this pleasing to God? Is that the work that I do, Uh, uh, will it burn up in the fire or is it what I do for Christ that will last? It's the kind of thinking and the kind of heart that says, what is it that God is most concerned about? Is my life a life that is caught up in looking for an opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are suffering? Those who are on a banana peel, one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel. Is it those whom I'm looking out for Am i concerned about their eternal destination? It, where is your heart? The practicality of this is when you get these things right, your heart will be in the right place. It, it will be with the Lord. You will have a compassion on people and a passion for God. And once the believers, amen, get their lifestyle straightened out and start living practically according to God's word. Oh, what a difference that we'll make. Oh, what a difference we can make in this society where little boys and little girls and men and women who are lost in all kinds of illicit activity. Amen. Might eyes be opened and their ears be attentive to God's word, that they might flood in our churches and that we become a great multitude of those who serve and praise the Lord. Oh, what a day that would be if the church got serious about the practicality of God's word. Got back to trying to serve the Lord Instead of trying to serve ourselves Stop saying my four and no more But start realizing that We are the only organization If you will Or organism that is established To help those that are non-members Of that organization Amen Amen When we get back to that We can do some great things For the Lord Because the reality is One of these days The trumpet is going to sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise. And they that remain shall be caught up in the air. One of these days. When man doesn't know the day nor the hour. God's coming and calling for his children. One of these days when we're doing whatever we're doing, that the Lord is coming for his children the Bible says he's coming for a church without spot or blemish the question is will you be ready because one of these days God is going to snatch us up into the great coronation and to the by and by But only those who are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ shall be able to enter into the presence of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The question today once again is, will you be ready? Because one of these days it's going to be highly, highly and never goodbye. to be like the poor man lazarus the rich man dvs he lived a life of sumptuousness he lived a life of fanfare and wealth but one day the rich man died and the bible said he lifted up his eyes in hell the rich man was no longer concerned about his great wealth the bible says he said if someone would dip their finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flame. Abraham said, "I'm sorry, uh, a rich man, Ebenezer. Uh, there's a great cavern between you and I, and I can't come to you, and you can't come to me." I can't send Lazarus to you and you can't come to Lazarus because once you have entered in to that everlasting torment there's no way back but that story also let us see Lazarus who had sores on his body that the dogs came and licked while he was in this life. It's the same story of the one who ate the crumbs from the rich man's table no sores no more he's not hurting and he's not in pain but he's in the arms of the master in the everlasting by and by his life is a life of faithfulness his life is a life of disadvantage here but all his advantage was in glory that's what Jesus is saying do not set up your treasure here on earth but make sure that you're building your timber up in glory. Make sure that what you do that is good in this world, that is pleasing in the sight of the Lord, that one day when you close your eyes, one day when you take your last breath, one day when you open your eyes to see the master, that the master will say to you, thy good servant you've been faithful over a few things now I'm gonna make you ruler over many make sure that your business is fixed make sure that that will be your destination because you are following the practicality of God's word God bless you and God keep you is my prayer because one of these days he's coming back in his glory He's coming back and He's coming for His children. And then there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh-huh. The old thing shall be passed away. There'll be no more pain and no more suffering. Be no more drug addiction and alcoholism. Be no more human trafficking and sex trafficking. Be no more drug addicts. Be no more I mean, for walking up and down the streets of Marlboro, it will all be over. But while we're still here with blood running warm in our veins, let us make sure we run the race of endurance till the end. For the joy that was set before Jesus, He endured the cross, the spies, and the shame. We got to endure some things, y'all and we got to despise some things here on earth and one of these days he's coming as the righteous king and he shall have our reward in his hand god bless you and god keep you here's my prayer